This is day 119 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Psalms chapters 114 through 118. Lord, Heavenly Father, you are such a good God. You're so mighty and awesome and faithful and righteous. Nothing that we can ever attain. And yet, Lord, you still want us to attempt to be like you. You want us to try and pursue holiness, to pursue righteousness, to pursue love and peace with all men. Lord, may we be like you. May we look to you as the one at the finish line. We know that the finish line for some of us is a far way away, but we don't know when you will return. And Lord, we need to be ready. We need to be actively working for your benefit. Because the gospel still needs to be spread to everyone. There are so many that don't hear it. There are so many that need to hear it. And you will not return until those you have chosen have been saved. Thank you for allowing us to participate in this activity. Please bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. When Israel went forth from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains, that you skip like rams. O hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, before the Lord, before the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of water. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, Where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence.
But as for us, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forever. Praise the Lord. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I live. The cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed when I said, I am greatly afflicted. I sat in my alarm. All men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. O Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples. For his loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. O oh, let Israel say, His loving kindness is everlasting. O oh, let the house of Aaron say, His loving kindness is everlasting. O oh, let those who fear the Lord say, His loving kindness is everlasting. For my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me, and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished as of a fire of thorns. 
In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. You pushed me violently so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I will not die, but live, and tell of the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Okay, so this is a shorter reading today, but in preparation for Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible, I thought that would be appropriate that we have a shorter day, but also that we would have a proper mindset for what is going on in Psalm 119. So we talked about yesterday that Psalm 114 and 113 are what are called the beginning of the Egyptian, which they are a series of psalms and hymns that are sung during the Passover. So 113 and 114 are done before the Passover meal, and then the rest of these are done after the Passover meal. And these are to remind us of who it is that led the Israelites out of Egypt. And if we have been paying attention, I hope that we can see that from the very beginning, we have seen that there are so many parallels with what happened during the book of Genesis and Exodus as to what goes on with us. Because Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all the things that happened in the Old Testament. It was, those things were a shadow of what Christ was going to do for us. So in the same way that the Israelites would celebrate their people being rescued from Egypt, we need to see it for ourselves as well as Gentiles, that God rescued us from death through his son, Jesus Christ. So in the same way that he led us out of that place of slavery as Israelites, 
in the same way Gentiles were led out of slavery from sin and from Satan into a new light, into a new life and new glory through Jesus Christ. So these certainly apply to us. We can't just say, oh, you know, these are a psalm for just Israelites at the Passover. But again, Jesus Christ was the ultimate Passover lamb, and it was for our direct benefit. So certainly these apply to us as well. So we can't just say, no, well, we can skip these because that's for Israel, not for us. That is incorrect. These are definitely for us too. Psalm 114 is a brief hymn that is commemorating the things that God did during the Exodus. You know, talking about the different facts about who he is, what he did in getting them to leave the land, and then all the wonders that he performed while they were exiting into the wilderness. And then they take over the Passover at that point, and then Psalm 115 is when they would pick up the celebration after the Passover. And Psalm 115 is a bit of a contrast between the sovereign God, which they worship as the one who took them out of the land of Egypt, and over these idols of the land, these impotent, empty, fake idols. They're all made in man's image, and yet they have no life in them. Yet we try to give them life by surrendering our wills to them and worshiping them, and it's terrible. And the thing is, when it comes to idolatry, back in this day, yes, they would have literal idols. Now, we don't necessarily have that today, maybe in some places, but more often than not, we have idols in a different form. The original problem with idolatry has never changed. It just takes different appearances. Do we have idolatry today? Absolutely we do. Really, it should be as simple as, is there anything in our lives that takes the place of God? Or that we place at a level of higher importance than God? And if we say yes to any of these, it could be self, right? We could worship ourselves so much and be so self-centered and, and, and all that, that we would ignore God. Or there are things in our lives like hobbies or addictions or work or sexuality. I mean, there's so many things that could be a substitute for God that we exalt higher than it should. Idolatry should not be named among us at all. That is a hard thing to say, because there are so many things in this world that want to distract us and attract us. But we can't. That's why it says clearly in Hebrews chapter 12, at the very beginning of the chapter, it says that, you know, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses before us, talking about the patriarchs and the people in the Old Testament, which were heroes of faith, let us cast aside every weight anything that weighs us down, and the sin that so easily entangles us or ensnares us or traps us. Those things that are your personal vices. Everyone's are different. We need to get rid of them. It says to cast them aside. It says to throw them away. Jesus said something similar, did he not? If your arm is causing you to sin, cut it off and throw away from you. 
He's not saying to literally cut your arm off. He is saying whatever is causing you to sin, you need to let go of it. Get rid of it out of your life. Do not compromise with it. Why? Because he also says one cannot serve two masters. Because you'll love one and hate the other. And more often than not, because we are fleshly, as Paul describes in the book of Romans, we will usually pick that over God. So if we know that's our problem, we need to get rid of it forever. I've also heard it like this as well, and it really stuck with me when I heard it like this. What did Jesus say about following him? He said, if anyone wishes to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Right? How can we carry our cross if our arms are full of addiction and idolatry? If we're holding on to all these things that, and we will not let them go before God, how can we pick up our cross? So in order to pick up your cross and follow Christ, we have to put something out of our hands. We have to set something down so that you can carry your cross. Do we see it like that? Because ultimately, that is the pursuit of holiness. That is the pursuit of righteousness. And the problem with the church today, I think, is that we have an an overall awareness to what God wants from us. But I think the hugest disconnect in the church today is that we don't take spiritual matters seriously. I don't know if it's because we don't think it's a serious matter, or maybe we're so disconnected from reality that it doesn't seem real. I'm not sure. But I think that's the root problem in churches today. Why we lack unity. Why, if you've been listening to the study we just did on the state of theology, why so many Christians today believe the wrong things. I think there's just no investment in oneself. There's no personal study or pursuit outside of Sunday. I really think that's what it is. And so, how are we supposed to be holy? How are we supposed to be righteous and pursuing God's will if we have no idea what he wants, if we don't even ask him or even try to figure it out? The Bible is clear that it is an investment. It is not something that can just be spoon-fed into you. It has to be an effort coming from you personally. Why do I say all this? Because of verse 8. Those who make them, being the idols, those who make idols will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. So what it's saying is, it was describing how empty these things are. They are works of man's hands. They have all these physical attributes, but they don't do anything. And in our case today, there's not a whole lot of physical idols, but we still give power to these things. And they are empty. And so what he's saying here in in the psalm is that those who pursue idols will be as empty as an idol. And in the eyes of God, you will be useless. That's not what we are called to be, especially as Christians. We are called to be greater than the world. Because the world no longer owns us. We are under new management. Jesus Christ bought us at the cross. And he owns us now. 
we are his slaves, and we need to be obedient to our master. Psalm 116 is a song of personal thanksgiving. And first off, he starts off with how much he loves the Lord, not simply because he is God, but what he also has done. And that is one of the ways that God shows who he is, is by what he has done. He remembers the times of his past distress and how God has rescued him from those things because God constantly delivers his people, especially the ones that are faithful to him. And then he resolves and challenges us to praise the Lord because of the way that he delivered us. And in our case, he delivered us from eternity apart from him in hell. So we, it go, he asks the question here in verse 12, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? What can I do? What can I give the Lord as payment for all that he's done? How can I make it even with God? Is there a way that I can repay God for all the good he's done to me? No, there's not. What he has done is beyond cost. And we simply do not have the ability or the power to repay God because God doesn't need anything. He did it willfully, and it was a free gift to us. So he says what we should offer the Lord, and that's who we are. I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. I shall pay my vows to the Lord, as in not only keep my promises, but also keep his promises. He's promised to do all these things, but he also asks us to do something. And that's to be obedient to him and to love him and to love each other. And to call upon his name. How do we call upon his name? Through reading his word, through prayer, through fellowship with other believers. Lifting up the cup of salvation, raising it above our heads to show the whole world this is what we believe in. So all of this is connected with what Jesus had commanded us to do in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Teach them what I've been telling you. Do what I have commanded you and I will be with you. He has commanded that we do these things, and he promised that he would be with us, even till the end of the age when he returns. Then we come to Psalm 117, which is the shortest chapter in the whole Bible. Two verses long. It's a very simple psalm. One verse is calling people to praise God, and why should we praise him? Because his loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Absolutely, God deserves all of our praise. And finally, we have Psalm 118, which is a song that is usually sung by God's worshipers as they are heading toward the temple. Usually during their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, or even in the city, when they are in procession going to the temple, they would sing this. And what they're talking about in here is, first of all, they're praising the Lord for who he is, and then they're contemplating their deliverance by God. And then they're talking about a future day when the foundation stone, which is the Messiah, will bring salvation to his people. The second half or so is prophecy that was fulfilled directly by Christ. 
Think about what is being said here. Verse 19, Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. What did Jesus himself say he was? He says that he was the door for the sheep, right? And he also talked about that the gate is open, but the the way to heaven is narrow, but it is open because Christ opened it. I shall give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. That is literally what Jesus' name is. He was prophesied to be called Emmanuel, right? Which is God with us. And indeed, Jesus is God with us. But his actual name that was given to him by God through Gabriel was Jesus. And what does Jesus mean? It means, the Lord is my salvation. And Jesus fulfilled this verse because he came to be our salvation. Now, in the New Testament, you see this one quoted a lot. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. We see this one quoted a lot in the New Testament. I can think of Acts saying it. I can see Jesus himself saying it. I can see Peter saying it in 1 Peter. It's mentioned many places. Now, when he came on the scene, as we know, his people did not recognize him as the cornerstone, even though he was, because they were expecting a different kind of Messiah. They were expecting a Messiah that was more political than he was spiritual. They were hoping for a Messiah that was going to come as a mighty king and conquer Rome and kick them out of the Holy Land. And then they would be their own independent people and he would rule over them. That was the Messiah they looked for. They were not looking for a humble carpenter's boy that was going to save them from their sins on the cross. That's not what they looked for. And so that's why they missed him. We recognize that Jesus Christ is the true Messiah, that he has already come, and he will come again. But next time, it won't be to save his people. It will be to judge them. So we have an important job ahead of us, right? We're already saved. We have nothing to worry about. But many people in this world are not saved, and they have something to worry about. That the world will be destroyed by fire. It's like he says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, By his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burnt up. God destroyed the world once by water, next time it will be by fire, and no one will be left alive. So this is certainly something that should motivate us. Because I know we have family members, we have friends, we have co-workers, people within our own church that we are pretty sure are not saved. 
And if we see the theme of the Bible so far, God works with a remnant. He works with a small group of true believers. And may we work toward that end. May we work toward sharing the gospel with people so that they will achieve salvation through Jesus Christ. We do not want billions of people to go to hell, do we? The responsibility is not ultimately in our hands. God is in control of all that. But he has invited us into this work. He didn't have to do it this way, but he chose to allow people to hear the gospel first and then respond to it. God could have just looked at somebody and said, zap, you're saved. Without any sort of warning, without any sort of precursor. But he didn't do it that way. He has involved us in his saving ministry through the gospel of Christ. And that's why we are called to do what we do. And it's an important job. God has designed it in such a way that they will not be saved unless they hear the gospel. We need to be those feet that share the gospel. So I hope we learn to take this more seriously. The Israelites missed it, but we cannot. And with this knowledge comes great responsibility. You know, kind of like Spider-Man, right? With great power comes great responsibility. We have a great job ahead of us. A holy, great calling. But with that knowledge and that ability comes responsibility. So let's work toward that end. Tomorrow we will read the longest chapter in the Bible. And it will just be just the one. So we'll get into that tomorrow. But for today, that is all that I have. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.